This is the Veritable Veteran Podcast, bringing truth and exposure to the struggles veterans and their families face post-military. Depression. Anger. PTSD. Suicide. Who am I? What do I do now? Hey guys, and welcome to the Veritable Veteran Podcast. Uh, if you've been listening for a while, I think we're on episode 15 now. If this is your first episode, welcome. Glad you guys are here. Uh, we talk a lot about uh, veterans, obviously, but also uh, other military-related topics and just trying to put words to things that veterans feel and things they experience and bringing light to it because there's a lot of things that uh, veterans deal with that they don't either they don't want to talk about or they don't know how to talk about and what we do here my wife and I we try and put words to it we describe our own experiences and we relay that to people in a way that we hope will help them relate and understand and be able to better understand their own feelings and thoughts. So today I, I was reading something the other day about transitioning veterans and um, they said combat veterans or veterans with combat experience have a much higher, much harder time transitioning out of the military than, uh, than veterans that did not have combat experience. So I started thinking about that and I, I have combat experience and I have transitioned. So I've been through this and I'm, I'm th- sitting there thinking, well, my transition was not easy. Did it have anything to do with my, my combat experience? And I started really thinking about just the way my, my mind has changed since being in combat. And I'm not talking about just PTSD or anything like that. I think, I know because I, 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 I live it every day. Once you experience, well, let me take a step back. My mind was uh, affected positively uh, from a young age by going on a missions trip or a couple of missions trips. One was to South Africa when I was 14. I'm still flabbergasted. Now that I have my own kids, I'm still mind-blowing that my parents let me go on this mission trip to South Africa when I was 14, but I'm so glad they did because it opened my eyes to the world. I wasn't a naive, like I wasn't a dumb kid, but I was, I was naive because I was young and I knew about, you know, there's, there's, there's starving kids in Africa. You hear that all the time. And, and unfortunately it's true, but it didn't hit home until I went there and I saw the conditions these people were living in and I saw the fact that they didn't have running water in their homes. They didn't have electricity in their homes. They, they didn't even have floors in their home. They just had dirt. It was just a, a brick house with a metal roof. And I mean, some of them, this was a government uh, subsidized housing facility outside of town where they basically, it was kind of the slums or the, you know, what we would call, you know, the projects. It was just built by government entities for people to live in. So, the 
sorry, I'm reading a message from the computer here at work. Turn this volume down so it doesn't shriek in our ear again. Okay, so I started to realize that at a pretty young age that the world is a lot more... Um, let me rephrase that. I started to realize at a young age that I had it very good. And I was extremely blessed to live where I live with the family that I had and all the blessings that we had, you know, here in America. And I, so I was kind of, when I was, I think 17, I went on a mission trip to, to West Virginia to a, a, uh, it was a coal town, Montgomery County, West Virginia, I think it was. So we went down there to help replace a roof on a house that was really old, really run down. Uh, honestly, the house probably needed to be rebuilt. We had to take down the whole chimney because the chimney was about to fall over. Uh, we had to re-shingle the whole... We had, well, we had to put down new uh, roofing, like plywood, all across the whole top, and then we had to shingle it because uh, it was just rotted. Anyway, the conditions these people lived in, in America, helped me realize there's people in America that live like third world country style. And that was another step in the, you know, the pro the progression of my mind towards realizing how blessed I was. And so that helped a lot in helping me come out of this naivety of, you know, oh, I, you know, I'm, oh, pity poor me. I'm so, you know, I'm, I'm so misfortunate, you know, and all this other stuff. Like a lot of people have in America where if they don't have every single thing they want, they think, well, I, you know, I'm, I'm sad because I need these things. No, you don't. You want those things. You need very basic things. You need shelter. You need food. You need water. Okay. And you need security of some kind, right? That's really it. If you have those things, you can survive. You can live. And you could even do okay for yourself. You could even be happy if you decide to be. But here in America, we have such a consumerist, consumerist mindset where if we don't have every single little thing we want, we immediately throw a fit. And if we don't have it right away because we live in this microwave society of I want it now, then we throw a fit because, you know, we think we're being, I don't know, we're, we're, we're on for we're misfortunate. It's just not true. So getting back to deploying and having combat experience, you it just opens your eyes. It opened my eyes. So again, I go to Afghanistan, I see the conditions these people are living in and the fact that other than having electricity and vehicles, these people, a lot of them haven't moved past, you know, this... 1700s because they just they, they live the same way occasionally they have electricity in their homes most of them don't uh, occasionally they'll own a vehicle of some kind usually it's a motorbike or a motorcycle of some kind that they haul you know six people around on so they live in a, a very it's a very third world country in a lot of areas. We did, I, I wasn't in Kandahar. I wasn't in Kabul. I can't, I can't speak to those areas. I know where I was at down in Marja and that, you know, that area. But once you've 
been in combat and you've had people try to kill you and you've either tried to or killed other people once you've seen the hate and the rage and the ferocity of near-death instances and the, the primal instinct once you've experienced that primal instinct to survive, your mind changes. And I'm not a psychologist. I'm not a psychiatrist. I'm not a doctor. I'm not a, I'm, I can only speak from experience and just from looking at other people and the stuff that I've gleaned from my own life and the lives of other men and women that I, I served with, your mind changes and you start to look at, everyday life differently. They say that combat veterans have a harder time transitioning. And I agree because, again, I've been there, but when you look at what normal everyday people, and I say that just because when I'm, what I'm referring to is people who have not had combat experience. When I say normal, if you've had combat experience, it doesn't make you abnormal. I mean, I, I feel that I'm abnormal. <laughs> I just, I just, I'm not normal in, in, the, in the aspect of everyday Americans, I'm, I'm not. And I don't think that uh, anybody who's been in combat is, but that for some reason that, that saying you're not normal kind of offends people. I don't think that's a bad thing. I, I think normal is offensive, honestly, if I'm, being, if I'm being honest. If someone's like, you're just a normie, I'd be like, all right, now we're going to fight. Anyway, I'm just kidding. But that doesn't bother me when, some, you know, when, when it's like, I'm not normal, okay? Well, I don't think I am normal anyway. So Normal, quote-unquote, people will complain about things. And people that have been around the world, people that have, you know, people that have been around the world will look at that and be like, that's not, it's not a, it's not something to complain about. People who have been in combat take that a step further and they're like, shut up and be grateful for what you have. And for the fact that someone's not trying to kill you right now. And that sounds, you know, and, and, and I don't walk around all day like, oh, just be glad no one's trying to kill you. Like, I don't, that, that's not how it works. In my mind, I look at these people that are complaining about things. And they're complaining about their jobs. And they're complaining about their car or their house or these other things that, they matter, but they also, that they don't, and they make them into a bigger deal than they are. And having been in combat, having seen the world, and honestly, most of the places, I've, I have been very few places in the world that were like vacation spots or tourist attractions. Most of the places I have been have been third world slums. So I have a lot of experience um, being around the world in these places. And I just, it drives me absolutely nuts when people complain about first world problems. So yeah, the transition from the military, because in the military, like there's, there's, there's still the class of people who've had combat experience and combat arms and the other, you know, non-infantry, non-combat arms uh, supporting MOSs. 
again, I'm not taking anything from somebody who has not done this. And I'm not saying that transitioning uh, out of the military, if you haven't had combat experience, is easy. I'm not saying that at all. I know it's not. I'm just trying to focus on this one aspect for this episode. So it's super frustrating when I hear people complaining about these things and saying, oh, my life is so bad. And it's like, no, your life isn't, isn't that bad. It could be a lot worse. And again, it's, you know, having traveled the world that helps me understand that, but having been in combat and that that's just one aspect I think that makes it, it makes it hard, you know, is just being able to relate to the problems that civilians have or normal people have. It's, I can't, I can't relate to it because it's like, I, I, I don't, I can't relate that way anymore. So I have to find myself, I have to catch myself because I want to look at this person and be like, shut up and stop being a blank, you know, and I probably insert some offensive word there that most people would be offended by, but I can't say that all the time. I mean, there's, there's times that I've, I've said like, you need to stop complaining because you don't realize how good you have it. But I can't just blast this person because I, I, you know, generally I either have to work with them or live near them or uh, interact with them in some way. So I'm trying not to burn these bridges because, again, we're trying to transition well and not transition out of the military. My mind is still in the military and I'm just going to treat everybody like they're stupid because they weren't in the military. Like, no, we don't want that. You don't want to live like that. So. You can't just scream at people and tell them you're stupid, suck it up, stop being a blank, whatever, uh, because, you know, I well, you should have seen what I experienced and all of a sudden it's going to make it harder for you to actually transition. So get this in your head. Civilians, normal people, people who have not seen combat, people who have not deployed, traveled the world, they do not understand. Okay. Some of them have a better understanding than others. Some of them have an extremely good understanding and, 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 you know, some civilians and people that have not had combat experience have an even better understanding than I do and and you do and anybody else. Most everyday people have zero idea of what it is like outside of the United States. So the people that you deal with at Walmart or at the mall or at the gas station or at work probably have little to no clue what you've experienced and what it's like around the rest of the world for everybody else. Because we live in a very sheltered society, very sheltered, a very affluent and blessed society. Like the houses we live in, like a small two bed, one bath house, apartment, whatever to most people in third world countries, it's a mansion. They look at these bigger houses we have and they're just, they're dumbfounded at how big and how, and how big these houses are and how much stuff we have. Okay. So all this plays into when we get out of the military and, and, and again, like I said, there's, there's guys in the military that have this mindset, but there's, there's others in the military that don't get it either. So it's, we still experience it a little bit while we're in, but it just gets absolutely amplified to a whole new level when we get out and we start dealing with these people who have zero idea. 
And it's hard to give grace to those people, but we have to because they don't understand because they're not going to understand. And we can't, we can't force them. You can't, I mean, I guess you could grab them and force them to watch videos of, you know, third world countries and, but until they've been there and experienced the, the human emotion of seeing somebody digging through the trash for food to eat. And, and again, there's people in America that do the same thing. Like I said, it's not, nothing here is exclusive. I'm just saying when you've experienced that and you've experienced the, the primal instinct for survival that a lot of people around the world face, your mind is different and it will never be the same. And that's okay. It doesn't make you abnormal. It doesn't make you crazy. It doesn't make you a psycho. You've just changed the biology of your mind. The neuropathways in your mind have switched. And I'm saying that I'm not a doctor, okay? So if some doctor wants to come on here and tell me that's not what happens, it's actually whatever, that's fine. You can tell me, cool. Come on, I'll interview you and you can tell me what the actual terminology is. But I honestly, in my heart, wholeheartedly believe that the neuropathways in your mind change after you've been in combat. So that's one aspect, okay, of a combat veteran trying to transition into the civilian world. Here's another aspect. There is absolutely nothing on earth that can compare to the adrenaline rush of being shot at and not getting hit. Nothing can compare to it. It's a high, it's a rush, and it's not something that you can relive without putting yourself in mortal danger. So, you know, that I guess one way that people sometimes refer to them is just war junkies, you know, because that's, they live for that high. They live for the rush of combat. And once you've experienced that, that, that specific kind of a high, that primal urge to survive, that fight to win, and not just win, it's not just winning, it's living. Winning is living in combat. Like, you won, it means you're still alive. <laughs> so... That rush is something that a lot of guys and girls will find themselves chasing. And they'll either chase it through hobbies, they'll find something, and hopefully they find something constructive to do and not uh, something destructive such as a substance or alcohol or you know something else that they abuse to get that high. Um, but you know, some guys you find that veterans just have crazy hobbies. They like to go skydiving or they like to ride motorcycles really fast, but they like to, you know, go off-roading in their vehicles or on ATVs or whatever. I don't know. I mean, just, just pick something that you can get a rush from. And, and it's not just veterans, but that's one thing that combat veterans do is that they struggle with chasing that high after having experienced it. It's the same as any other high. 
you know, I've never done heroin, but it's highly addictive. And, you know, sometimes it only takes, from what I've been told, it only takes one use to become addicted to it because you experience it. And apparently it's so good that people keep going back for more. And combat is very similar to that. It doesn't take a whole lot of an experience, a whole lot of combat experience to understand that it is an absolute rush. And I mean, it's, you know, I, when I got out of the Marine Corps, I had no desire to do anything with a, with a, with a uniform or a gun. I just wanted to be Joe Schmo, grow my hair, not PT whenever I was, you know, PT whenever I wanted to, but not work out, you know, because I had to. I wanted to live my life on my terms. And for a little while, I was okay with that, but it lost its luster pretty early on. And I started looking for something more. And I, me personally, I, I realized I was going to be a cop. It was, and honestly, I think it was probably inevitable. I was going to do it anyway. It just took me a little while to realize it. But I find myself living for those adrenaline rushing heart pounding moments and I'll go several shifts without having something happen. And I find myself like, man, I just, I hate this job or whatever. Um, I'm bored. It's not that I hate it. And it's not that I'm, you know, like I need to just go do something else. No, I'm, I'm, I am bored because I want the rush. Like the other day we had a situation where I had to do something that was uh, intense, and I'm not going to get into the details, but I had a you know a pretty good rush of adrenaline for a while, and I rode that high for a couple hours, and then I found myself the next day sitting there thinking, I, I want it again. Like already, I just, you know, I'm fiending for this, this high. And, and I hate saying that, you know, like civilians can't understand because they can. And you, you, if you're a civilian, listen to this. I'm not, I'm not trying to make it out like we're so much better. It's just different. And I know that there are civilians out there that have way more experience than a lot of veterans uh, in a lot of things. I just know that from my personal experience, having been in combat and experienced that rush of, wow, I, someone tried to kill me uh, and I'm still alive. We came out on top and yeah, I'm still here and that's a rush. <laughs> and having experienced that, coming out of the military and leaving I kind of look back, you know, at that, at that time and that experience. And I'm like, man, I just wish I could have it again, but I don't want to have to go back into the military to get it. <laughs> so a lot of veterans will, they have a hard time at a normal job because they just get bored. Um, but again, it, as with everything, we have to adapt and that's not something you can do forever. Uh, and it's not something that uh, we should build our lives around is trying to chase that high. <clears throat> Excuse me. But I can understand 
the desire uh, to to do something that will get you close to that. So that that's another aspect of being a combat veteran that I think is makes it just a little bit more difficult to transition. A third aspect I think that makes it difficult is you lose when a combat veteran leaves the military. When a vet, let me let me just start again because this applies to a lot of people, but it, it applies differently to combat veterans, and I'll explain that in a minute. When a veteran, when an active duty military member ends their service and leaves the military, they lose the camaraderie and the brotherhood they had from their unit, their squad, their platoon, their fire team, their company, whatever it is. They lose that camaraderie, that single-minded goal of we need to accomplish this task and we're all going to do it together and everybody has to put out their max effort or it's not going to work. And everybody is working towards the same goal. When they leave the military, they lose that. Combat veterans take it a step further in that they lose the camaraderie of sharing that combat experience. The guys that shared that combat experience with them are no longer in their daily lives. They can still talk to them. They can call them on the phone. They can maybe occasionally go visit them. Maybe if you're lucky, you live nearby and you can, you know, set up a time to go meet up and hang out. But they lose the daily camaraderie with their fellow combat veterans. And the the relationships forged in combat are unparalleled. You can't... The only other thing I could think that would compare to it is a very traumatic experience, such as like a, a terrorist attack that you survived with some other people, and during that time you banded together with those people to uh, save somebody else's life or save their life, or they save your life, or something like that where it's a very traumatic experience because that creates a bond that can't be compared to. It's the same thing in combat. Someone's trying to kill you and you are trying to kill them first. So does that mean that every single person you serve with in combat is going to be like a good friend of yours? No. But if you have a friend who's an acquaintance or just kind of a friend and you go and you like the guy or the girl and you serve together in combat and you experience this life and death struggle together, you're going to be bonded forever at some level. And it's, there's nothing you can do about it. It's not like a voluntary thing where you get to choose, you know, I think uh, I like this person. I'm going to bond with them. No, if they're there and they experience it with you, you're bonded. But if you have any kind of, friendship with that person now it's just it's a brotherhood and it's never going to go away you're a family at this point and that bond is extremely strong so again veterans deal with this every veteran deals with it because they lose the camaraderie of their daily work with other veterans other active duty military and then they get out and they lose that but you add in the aspect of combat experience and losing the camaraderie, the brotherhood of fellow combat hardened people, combat tested people. And it's like, 
man. It's hard to describe because now you you're going back to the civilian world and you're meeting up with people for work or whatever it is at church or anything, you know, and you're just, you're, you're trying to relate to these people, but most of these people have never been shot at, blown up, uh, on the receiving end of direct and indirect fire, you know, tap dance with IEDs and everything. It heard the snap of a round pass within an inch of their face. Most of them haven't experienced that. So they're not going to, you're, they're not going to understand you and they have experiences that you probably won't understand. It's just, it's not that you're better because we've, it's not that we're better because we've experienced these things. We're just different. And again, I wouldn't change anything. I would not go back and take away my combat experience. I would not go back and take away the wounds that I have and the scars that I have. I wouldn't because they've made me who I am. Are there times that I don't like the way that I am? Yes. And I want to grow and become healthy with the scars that I have and the wounds that I have. But I wouldn't change them and take them away. So the scars and the the wounds make it difficult for me to relate to other people just because I've experienced combat and I've developed these friendships, these brotherhoods, this camaraderie with these guys and these girls that can't really be explained very well unless you, you under, unless you just, unless you've done it. So I, we have to find a way to be able to relate to people socially, um, relate to them differently. Like there's, we're never going to have that bond that you have with the veteran brothers, brothers and sisters that you, that you served with or were in combat with. You're never going to have that anywhere else. So cherish that, put that on a, you know, a cherished mental shelf, like it's there, but you've got to find a way to relate to people outside of that. And we can't just say, well, you didn't see combat, so I don't like you. Like most of the world has not seen combat. Um, but you, that doesn't mean you can just not relate to any of them. Does it mean you're going to have a great relationship with every single person you meet? No, but we have to develop healthy relationship skills to be able to cope and work with people. Like you, you have to be able to work with people. You can't just hate everyone. Like everybody says that, you know, I just hate everybody. I'm a dysfunctional veteran. Okay. Like I get that that's kind of funny and like, yeah, there's times that I am dysfunctional and you know, I understand that, but owning that and like living that reputation and that, that moniker is just, it's not healthy and it's not helping anybody. And we need to stop pushing that. We need to start pushing, you know, instead of a dysfunctional veteran, a healing veteran or whatever, I don't know, but We've got to stop clinging to these things and basically making excuses. Well, this is why I I struggle because I'm just, all you people are weak and I'm, you know, I'm tough and hard and raw, you know, anyway, but you can't just assume that about everybody. And I get that there's a lot of people out there that they are soft. They are, you know, just, they're not strong-minded, strong-willed people, but it takes all kinds. And if everybody out there was strong-willed and 
strong-minded and hard, there'd be a lot more fighting going on in the world because everybody would just butt heads all the time. So that's, a, that's just another aspect of, you know, one more stressor that comes with, uh, you know, a combat veteran leaving the military. In my opinion, combat vets are some of the, the coolest people you could ever meet. Uh, some of the hardest, toughest, craziest guys that have done the most ridiculous things in combat are some of the quietest people you'd never expect. Uh, and they, they don't want to talk about it necessarily. Um, especially if you're not, if you're not a fellow combat veteran, they're probably never going to talk to you about it unless you become really good friends with them, because that's just something that you don't share with everyone. So I think, you know, combat veterans are some of the coolest people you could ever meet. And they're, if you can make a really good, if you can make really good friends with a combat veteran, I don't know that there's really a better friend to have. Because when someone says they'll fight for you, uh, these guys actually have, and they've been in the fight and they mean it. So, you know, they're, they've been tested, their words proven. Uh, so this is just stuff that I was thinking about. When, it, when I read that interesting statistic that, you know, combat veterans struggle with transition more than uh, veterans without combat experience. I just thought that was interesting. And then when I started thinking about it, I'm like, yeah, I can, I can understand why. There's definitely some different aspects that people that have not been in combat would not understand. They wouldn't have to deal with when they, when they went to get out. So I hope this helps somebody who's, you know, a, a combat vet or somebody who loves a combat vet, knows a combat vet, lives with a combat vet, works with a combat vet, something, you know, any, anything helps you guys understand a little bit about what they're, what's going on in their head. Again, they're not, they're not crazy. They're not, you know, off. They're not going to snap and, you know, go ballistic just because they've seen combat. But they are different. And their minds see things differently. And they always will. It'll never change. So, again, that doesn't mean you have to view them any differently. Just understand that they are different. And you may never understand it, and that's okay. As far as veterans, understand that you are a little bit different. In some cases, a lot different. Like me, I'm quite a bit different than most normal people. Um, but... That doesn't mean we can just hide behind our experiences and our service and our trauma and the mechanisms we've developed to, to cope and to just live in everyday life. We can't hide behind those as an excuse to not heal and to not become a contributing member of society again. So... If you're a combat vet and you're like really struggling with a transition, shoot me an email, theveritableveteran at gmail.com. Hit me up on Facebook, Instagram, whatever it is. Just send me a message and we'll talk. I'm not a therapist. I'm not a counselor, but I'm willing to listen and I'm willing to talk. So if you have an issue or you got somebody that you would like to, you know, share this with, share it with them and 
just encourage them to listen to it and maybe something will resonate with them and we can hopefully help as many people as we can. And if it's helped you, uh, I mean, I, I love hearing from you guys and it really helps me to stay motivated and producing content and episodes and everything else is just a simple message from you guys. Like, Hey, listen to your episode, you know, whatever number it was. And I loved it. Uh, and I'm not just saying that because I like to get patted on the back. It, it really does make a difference when I get messages like that. It really motivates me to continue and make more stuff and to continue pushing. Cause sometimes I'm like, man, nobody's even listening. Why am I ever talking to myself? <laughs> Cause I'm sitting in a room alone by myself talking to a microphone. Um, so sometimes it gets a little bit frustrating, but when I get messages from people, you know, even if it's just a, Hey, love your stuff, you know, that it really makes a big difference and it helps. But I would also love to talk to you guys, even if it's just a, you have a question or a content idea, or if you really just need someone to talk to, hit me up, let me know. So I really hope this finds somebody where they are and meets them, meets a need that they've had, but I love you guys. And I'm really glad the page is, you know, my Facebook page, we're up to 2,300,000 followers now. And, uh, did I say 2,300,000? That makes no sense. 23,000. 23,000 followers. It's, yeah, it's late. I need to go to bed. 23,000 followers. Um, I wish it was 2,300,000. That'd be interesting. Anyway, 23,000. So it's, it's growing again. We've gained, uh, I think 3,000 followers in the last two months. So it's, it's growing fast, but anyway, that's just cause you, know, you guys, and I love making the content and I hope it's helping. But anyway, I'm going to get out of here and I got to get to bed. I got to get ready for work in the morning. So I will see you guys next time. And I hope you guys have a wonderful week. Love you guys. Hey guys, quick reminder. If you enjoyed the episode today, don't forget to like and subscribe. Also, go to whatever platform you listen to these podcasts on and leave a review. That's the best way to help us out. Uh, it gets a lot more traffic to us. So again, if you liked it, like, subscribe, and uh, leave a review. All right. Love you guys.